Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and begin with prayer, okay? Uh, dear Lord, wow, God, I'm so grateful for the talent that uh, you give many of us, God. I mean, the worship team, wow, Lord, um, fantastic job this morning, God. Um, definitely fed my, fed my soul, God, and just so grateful for them. God, I'm grateful for the study. I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to share today as um, it forced me to look inward, God. And uh, it highlighted some areas of weakness that I need to work on. And, you know, I hope that I can share that with our congregation today. And uh, though, God, I, I hope that none of them can relate, God. Um, I just pray that it does move them, you know, in a such a way, God, to where we could be consistent, consistent, God, on how we love one another, how we share our faith, the expectations of, you know, being your children, God. I want us to live up to that, God, and, and I pray that uh, the message today, you know, helps that. Um, God, we do have some particular requests for some family members that I always like the opportunity to just pray for them amongst this congregation here. Uh, the McCurry family, uh, currently um, one of our sisters, uh, Rini's mother, is not doing too well. Well, mother-in-law is not doing too well. And, uh, you know, she's battling disease, God. And I just pray for, pray for her in many different ways. You know, physically, hopefully she could be physically healed, God. God, emotionally and spiritually as well, God. Uh, it's a time to where a lot of things can ponder, you know, in the head, God. And, and I just pray that she gets encouragement. Um, she gains confidence in knowing that uh, you are right there beside her, God. And I pray for those doctors, you know, as well as they treat her. Uh, Lord, I pray for also, um, well, Rose, Rose Wong also shared some things this morning, God, and I pray for just her family dynamic and what her mother's going through as well, God. Uh, I pray for, again, clarity, uh, that she pushes away all the confusion on what life has in store for her, and she chooses the path that may be harder, God, but much more fruitful, God. I want to pray for them as well, God. God, please let your spirit move tonight. Well, actually, this afternoon, God. I love you very much. You know me pray. Amen. So family, um, just so you guys know, um, ever since I became a disciple of Christ, you know, the hardened heart got a little softer, right? So if I get a little emotional, it's, if you guys may know, if you know me well enough, you know that, that that's, that's, that's where it comes from, right? It comes from a softened heart, you know? So as I was uh, preparing to study today, um, kind of thought about it for a minute, and I was like, man, God, you know, I love you. And you, wow, already started. <laughs> you are amazing. And um, I have a curious question for you. I just want to see if I'm the only one. You know, have you ever sat alone, you know, and either thought or shouted out loud, God, thank you? God, I love you for the circumstances you present to me, for the people you put in my life, for the answered and unanswered prayers. You, you, guys, you guys are with me? Many of you guys felt that way? Amen. Amen. That's honoring to God. And this is what this message is going to be about. Um, I do want to share a couple of events that, that happened recently that uh, I kind of sat quietly and, and I just pondered what was happening. You know, one was Thanksgiving, and I know everybody had their own uh, Thanksgiving event, you know, in their home. 
Um, I have a pretty small house, <laughs> so we, we fed a number of people there. And, uh, you know, we had family and friends that uh, crammed into our house. You know, many bought food to share. Um, there was new conversations, right? New people meeting each other, uh, getting to know one another, sharing laughs. And um, one of my favorite parts about Thanksgiving is when you kind of circle the wagons and uh, you express what you're thankful for. And I know it could be a little awkward, you know, for people, um, but I happen to like it. <laughs> so um, I can tell you guys, and um, not one of them shared about a material possession. You know, not one of them did. You know, what they shared about was relationships that they had, you know, the friendships, you know, they had as well. Um, there was even uh, a call for forgiveness, right? They're like, I'm sorry that, I, that I've treated you this way. And that um, was beautiful, right? I was grateful, you know, for that time period. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the times I thank God. You know, another time was this past week. You know, I have a, a little guy, a little grandson who's about six months old, and um, I guess he's been rolling on his stomach in secret, right? And uh, anyway, I guess Michaela, my daughter, she uh, decided to go into filming one day, and uh, sure enough, she shared a video of him kind of struggling for a toy, relaxing, struggling for a toy, relaxing, struggling for a toy, and then he rolls over. And she's so happy for him, like, oh, you did it, you know, this and that. And um, again, I was like, wow. You're so good. Yeah, you're so good. So family, I, uh, I show these things to you because a worldwide celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior is right around the corner. And I want to praise God publicly. Praise God publicly for what I've witnessed and what I've experienced in, in his keeping of his promises. So, God, I thank you. I thank you for these people here sitting in the pews. I thank you for the text that I get pretty much on a daily basis. And I'm thankful for the softball team that we're going to play today as well the fellowship we have as well. So amen. So though we celebrate Jesus year-round, I love that the rest of the world uh, takes time to recognize what we celebrate. Now, some of those people follow other faiths. Some of those people don't follow any faith at all. Yet, everyone knows on December 25th what it's all about. It's about Jesus Christ. Family, the season of Christmas is a season of celebration as well as a season of preparation. As we lead up to Christmas, we're going to start a new sermon series called Here Comes the King. So I'm going to try it again. Here comes the King. All right? So you're going to hear that theme here in the next few weeks as well, right? And, you know, I was going to share a couple of uh, pictures of, of kings, you know, historical kings that you may recognize um, just to get the lesson going, but... I was like, ah, you know what? I don't want to start that way. We're going to start, you know, this afternoon a reflection of who the king really is and how we show our reverence toward him. Amen? So who is our king? Jesus is our king. Hopefully I punch. Amen. 
Thank you, Hannah. Uh, I appreciate Hannah and Jordan for helping me out with the slides this morning, so thank you. Amen. Looked like it worked out. <laughs> you know, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Many of those speak of his birth. In Isaiah 7, uh, 14, it reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. A king will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. You know, it's amazing to think that generations upon generations of God's people stretching, you know, from the time of Abraham to Joseph and Mary, that they were anxiously waiting for a king. You know, as we read throughout the Old Testament, prophets repeatedly spoke of the promises of God, of which one of those promises would be a king that will unite the people, reign wisely, and would be just. We also learn from Scripture that the Israelis couldn't wait, right? The Israelites, I'm sorry, couldn't wait. They were caught up in an earthly king and what that can look like, and yet they ignored what they had in front of them, right? They actually had God. And yet that wasn't enough. They wanted a larger governing authority by the local leader. They wanted a leader to lead against the, their enemies, much like a military leader. They wanted to be like other nations, because they had kings. You know, they didn't see that they were called to be different. They were God's chosen people. And in family, the Old Testament is all about the hardening and softening of God's people. Right? Think about it. It's a struggle. The hardening and softening of God's people. And yet, God's been the constant, right? God's been the constant. Constantly, he was seeking their attention. Constantly, he went out for an intent. The intent was to strengthen this, right? The relationship and the love between himself and his people. Now, I'm still astonished. I mean, just thinking about the words of the worship team, man, you are holy. Wow. Mm. I'm astonished why God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke life into existence, wants to do anything with me. Isn't that, God, doesn't that shake you? Like, that is, that's amazing to me. You know, God sent many to guide his people, right, throughout the Old Testament. You know, he sent Moses, you know, of course, he sent Joshua, uh, Elijah, you know, David, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, Micah, uh, Malachi. He sent all of these people. And you know what they did? They didn't waste their time. It was due to their reverence to God that they put themselves out there, right? They continued to preach his promises. They continued to preach his standards. And yet, that moved the generation along for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
Imagine that, hundreds and hundreds of years of the softening, the hardening, softening, hardening, frustration, right? But yet, um, we needed that. That's a lesson learned. That's a lesson that we can learn, right? The reverence of God shouldn't be taken advantage of, right? Because it shows in Scripture we can get complacent. We can lose it. And nah, we, we, can't, we can't do that, right? We can't do that. It will be approximately four year, 400 years between the periods of the minor prophets and the birth of Jesus. So 400 years from that Nehemiah, you know, Malachi, that time period to the birth of Jesus. And that's a long time. You know, it wasn't quiet, however. Yeah. Many new ruling bodies came into the region, such as like Alexander the Great, in which case we have our Greek influence. And of course, we have the Romans, and uh, that impacted the Jews. So I can imagine that the thought of God's promises went a variety of different ways, right? You know, we probably had a group of people that probably just lost hope. 400 years, that's a long time. Probably lost hope. We probably had another group of people that half-heartedly believed it, but yet every time they looked outside the window and see, you know, a Roman soldier walking back and forth, it's probably doubtful that, that they thought their king was going to come in their lifetime. And it was probably another smaller group of people that eagerly, eagerly sought for God. Part of their daily prayer was, Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you to be here. We need you to save us. We need this salvation. It was part of their daily prayer. Now, have you ever prayed anything like that before? An everyday thought? An everyday prayer? You know, I mentioned uh, my grandson earlier, and, uh, you know, many of you have prayed for him throughout this last few months, um, and I really appreciate that. You know, I appreciate you guys asking about him. Um, appreciate you, just the constant prayer that you've given, because God answers prayers, and, and I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. Uh, I tell you, when we found out that Michaela and Nathan were going to have a little one, um, we were excited. You know, daily. That was one of our daily prayers. Eagerly, eagerly waiting for that little guy to come, right? Eagerly. And in Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. And I want to see what God's imagination was going to bring. What was Robert going to look like? You know, what was going to be his strengths, his weaknesses? What was going to be his gifts? And we're just starting to see a glimpse of that character. So amen. Thank you again, guys, for your prayer. Now, though I can't possibly know what the Israelites were praying for, I think we can honestly say that it is better than what they even hoped for, right? It is better than what they even hoped for. We know, we know the ending, right? We know the ending. We know that Jesus comes. We know what he brings. We know what he promises. We know more about Jesus because of the people that walked with him. Amen? And you know what? It's better than they even dreamed, right? Amen. So Israel did get their king that they were looking for, a king that would unite his, his people and rule wisely and justly and with grace, a king who would lead his people through love and not military might. 
a king that would promise a kingdom greater than anything found on earth. His followers would be called, would be called to be different and to do difficult things. Amen? So let's fast forward. Let's read some scripture together. You want to read some scripture together? All right, amen. So let's want to get started with Luke 1. So Luke 1, uh, this wouldn't necessarily be a, a Christmas message without uh, recapping a little bit of the Christmas story, right? So Luke 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, church, we can uh, do a service on that passage alone, right, and what it means. You know, it highlights the promises being fulfilled. It highlights the answered prayer of many. It highlights the love God had to allow his son to be born in a troubled world. It highlights Mary's heart, a teenage girl who had so much reverence for her Lord that she was willing to give up her body, willing to give up her reputation, willing to give up a future husband to do God's will. And you want to talk about a hero of faith, you know, marriage right there. If we continue in Luke, the birth of Jesus described, and it, it actually goes into a story of how the angels make an appearance in front of the shepherds. And again, that's a, sto- a sermon all to itself on the hierarchy of shepherds, you know, within the community at that time. But it was the shepherds that went out and testified about the Lord. Continue in Luke 2. Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord. Now, beginning in verse 25, it reads, Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him that by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon Simeon, took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising in many in Israel, and a sign 
that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Mm, that, is, that is some deep stuff right there. But yet, here we go, Simeon. Simeon was ready to die. Old man Simeon. <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He visited Jesus. Once he saw Jesus, his daily prayer, the thing that he was eagerly seeking and praying about was in front of him. Couldn't ask for anything more. He was, he was ready to die. God delivered on his promise. I mean, that is our God, right? He's the promise keeper. You know, he is a redeemer. And I think Apostle John put it beautifully, the miracle that took place through the birth of Jesus. In John 1.1, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, I guess you guys know, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. Mm, amen. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is our king. That is our Lord. So what is reverence? Kind of hard, right? What is reverence? You know, I'm in Ohana group with, the, with uh, Dan and Cindy Leos, and this question came up this past week. And, uh, you know, they were given, well, we, we provided many, many descriptions. You know, we said awe. We said respect, admiration, among many others. But yet we still couldn't fully capture what we thought reverence meant, right? So I really appreciate the question. And from the book that we are reading um, in our Hana, it's called Jesus is the Same, and it's by Charles Edward Jefferson. He described it as this. He said, reverence is more than a respect and esteem moving at high altitudes. It is one of the loftiest of all emotions of the soul. And that is why it eludes us when we try to capture it in the meshes of definition. What is it? It is homage, it is difference, and devotion, yes. And something more. It is awe and fear and adoration, yes. But even these do not fully, do not full-rounded story. This, I'm telling you, these do not tell the full-rounded story. I Sorry about that. The fact is, reverence is a complex emotion made up of mingled feelings of the soul. Reverence is a complex emotion, feelings of the soul. So when I read that, you know, I, I guess my description of reverence, or when I think of reverence, is just undescribable. Undescribable. And I guess you could say that about Jesus. I think you could say it about God. If we really were to sit down and describe who Jesus is and what he means to us, could we really do it? We could try. But would it really capture? Would it really capture it? You know, um, as I was preparing this lesson, you know, I was sharing with, you know, Uncle Marty and, and Uncle Anthony there, and uh, I had a lot of notes. And um, what it was was I was doing this study, right, and I was trying to capture it. 
I was trying to capture the best way to describe it to you, but can't, could it, you know? Um, so what, what I what, why am I telling you this? Is that this message is gonna be probably 30 minutes by an hour and a half. All right, so thank you, Marty. Laughing at my jokes. <laughs> no, but it, I just couldn't do it. It was just too much information out there. It's too much feeling in there. And I think if Jordan were to say the same thing, you know, if, if I think um, Eli would say the same thing, if I think Andrew would say the same thing, we would come up with just different definitions, different feelings, you know, all together. Yet, it was the reverence toward God that moved Abraham to nearly kill his son Isaac. It was reverence for the Lord that moved Noah to build an ark. It was reverence for the Lord that led a young David to confront a giant when no other man would. It was reverence for the Lord that Joseph took Mary as his wife as she was carrying a child before they were to marry. Reverence is recognizing the holiness and greatness of God. Jesus knew that. He ensured he taught with the same conviction. Just think about it. Just think about his teachings. He sought to save his father's most prized possession. That is you, his children. He did this by humbling himself to be born through the most, through the most humbling of beginnings. And while on earth, he served his people. He healed the sick in more ways than one. He restored hope. He bolstered confidence and courage. He tied a towel around his waist, got on his knees. Mm. Amazing. Man, wash the feet of his followers. Wow. Wow. He had enough reverence for his father that he'd be willing to sacrifice his body for us. Amazing. Within the book, Jesus the same, it further describes how Jesus had reverence for God's creation. Now check this out. I thought this was pretty eye-opening, and I appreciate Dan for pulling this out. He says, holding God continually before his eyes, he saw everything, everything in relation to the eternal. He respected men. Well, his respect for men was due. Not what men were in themselves, but what they were in the eyes of God. They were God's children. And therefore, no matter how poor or degraded, they were worthy of respect and honor. Any cruelty in, in word or human, in, inhumanity in action toward human being caused the heart of Jesus to flash fire because such treatment of God's children was, in his mind, an insult to God himself. That's powerful. And do you believe that? Do you believe that God views you that way? Let me, allow me to further the point. You know, Mark 9, verse 42 says, and and the subtitle calls causing to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, check this out. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. 
Doesn't that make you feel special? You are special. Remember what we read in Psalm 139. You are wonderfully made. And if the devil tells you something different, you need to have a hard talk with him. He needs to knock it off. Right? You need to tell the devil to knock it off. Amen? You know how much pain that causes God to know you think that way? That you believe the devil? His lies? We just read a couple of things here. We know where God's stance is. We can't entertain that, guys. We can't entertain that. Remember, you are a child of God. You are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, and he loves you. Just as Jesus' reverence for his Father allowed him to view his people with love, we too should show reverence for our king, for who he is and what he stands for. Just think about it. What a sight that would be if we hold that type of reverence to each other. Imagine that. The amount of love and respect, if we showed that with each other, what this place would be like. You know what 12 disciples did, how they changed the world. Imagine 300. Wow. Amazing. So how do we show reverence? I'm going to ask my wife, Julie, to come up and share a little bit about herself and how she has shown reverence toward God. Yeah, help me with the mic. Okay, so I'm going to read because if I look at you, I might not get through this. Um, So when Mark asked me to share about reverence of God, it actually reminded me um, the time we had it sharing at our marriage retreat that we had recently. I shared with Mark that only God and him taught me and showed me what true love really was. And what I mean by that is I didn't grow up in a loving home. I didn't feel loved by either one of my parents. Um, My mom left when I was six, and my dad remarried when I was about 10, and my mom wasn't a really nice person. Um, She was very abusive, and there was was no way my my dad didn't know what was going on in home. So I didn't feel my dad's protection, and eventually he just kind of joined in. But I've come to realize that I had teenage parents who did their best, And it's taken me a long time to say this sentence. They did their best with what they had because what they had was not without God. It was without God. I've asked my sisters and my parenting ohana, I'm very grateful for you, to keep me accountable and reflect on the good memories of my childhood and not just reflect on the abuse or what my parents did wrong. And that is slowly bringing healing to my heart. But during that ohana, I have also, it has also shown me how God has really always been there and how, 
and how much um, he's also loved me. Later in high school, when I finally thought my life was normal, I came home from school one day and the house was empty. Mark and I were already dating and I remember these words. She did it again. And I sat there in that empty house and just cried. I didn't know God at the time, but I knew he was looking out for me because looking back now, I see the scripture in Psalm 68, 6 come alive. God sets the lonely in families. Because that day, Mark's mom took me in. She actually gave me Mark's room. <laughs> but, he, but God has shown me love by giving me children with so much love and affection that it taught me how to give it back to them. He's shown me love with an amazing husband who loves me unconditionally and leads our, our family spiritually. God has blessed us with the amazing son-in-law who loves and sacrifices for my daughter and my grandson, Keala. Love is also pleading with God for my grandson's health, but also promise, promising God that I will glorify him no matter what the outcome is. That one was a hard one. God has also put amazing sisters in my life that has taught me to be the wife that Mark needs me to be. And I am truly blessed and loved. God has loved me even in the dark days when I didn't think anyone did. So what do I do with all this love I've received? I give it back. Mark and I love people. That is our ministry. We love hosting. We've opened up our homes to those who've needed it. At one point, I don't even know how many people had our house key. Um, we, oh, we, I said, we were meant to have family. We weren't meant to be alone. So my um, conviction is that we will continue to do this until we can't. So I, my encouragement to you, family, is that you show people around you how much you love them because at the end, that's all they're going to remember. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> so I'm going to tell a little bit about myself, too, and how I surrendered to God. So I have a little secret. Um, it won't be a secret anymore. But uh, initially, I did not desire to be an elder in this church. Okay? Just so you guys know. <laughs> but uh, the reason why I felt that way is I had a huge respect for elders. I've had the privilege of serving and, and becoming friends with many of them, and I held them at a really high regard, and uh, I just didn't think that that was me. Um, but after much thought, much, much prayer, and a lesson that I heard that morning that spoke about David and the burning bush, <laughs> I decided to surrender God and do God's will. I figured, you know what, God, if God wants me to fill this role, you know, he, he, will, he will will it so. 
And uh, as you guys know, or many of you know, it is a long process for the eldership selection. And um, not that I was going to gain, I got, I gained confidence thinking that I was going to get filtered out, but I was like, well, there's plenty of time in there to where God can work it out and, and see if this is something that he really has in store for me. And uh, as you guys know, it's been a year and a half, uh, a year and a half since we were appointed. And family, it's been a joy serving you guys in that capacity. So thank you. <laughs> so reverence, how can we show reverence for our king and how can we prepare for his return? Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make this complicated. I'm just gonna focus on, on a couple of things and really it's driven on, we has gotta love better, right? We gotta love better. So let me give you some ideas. Okay, we need to go deeper into our prayer, our conversations with God, our conversations with each other. We need to ask questions. You guys know what I mean by that. When we're fellowshipping out here, there's plenty of time to ask questions. See how everybody's doing. Iron sharpens iron. Family, spiritual maturity, spiritual conviction comes from the heart. It doesn't come from the pulpit. Number two, we need to share the good news. Share our gratitude, share our victories, share what God has done for us and what he can do for someone else. Family, that's part of our mission. And I'm not just talking about those outside of the church. I'm talking about those inside our congregation. They need encouragement too. All right? Amen? Now, our love for each other, our love for our neighbors, they need to be sincere. We need to stop looking away, and we need to pursue contact. We got to be in the offensive. We got to pursue contact. While Julie and I were visiting Gabe in California, uh, their speaker, his name is Mike Mead, he said something that, that caught our attention. And uh, I would like it to be something that, that we talk about here. He says, we need our visitors to know they belong before they believe. They need to know they belong before they believe. What does that mean? That means we gotta work on our hospitality. We gotta welcome people into our homes. We gotta welcome people into our Bible studies. We gotta welcome people to our events. You know, we got to share our faith with people, right? Everybody's welcome. When they're welcome, there's an expectation that they're gonna learn a little bit more about God while they're here, amen? All right, we need to grow in our fellowship with each other. The beauty of our church is that our Hana extends beyond our inner circle of friends and family. Therefore, we cannot isolate ourselves from each other. We need to share our knowledge. We need to share our experience. We need to share the truth with each other. Family, we have too many people in our fellowship, too many that don't know the first name of the person they're sitting, right, sitting next to right now. Think about that. Look around. Do you know the first name of the person sitting right next to you? Guys, we can't have that. Look, we, can't, we cannot have that. So check this out. Before we leave today, 
before you get up from your seats and walk out that door, you need to introduce yourself to the brother and sister to your right and left. Amen? Now, family, there are many other areas that I can go into, but we're going to stop there for now. All right? We're going to stop there for now. So, my church, Ohana, we are going to meet Jesus someday. Whether it's when we die or whether when he comes at an unknown time, at an unknown date. In either case, we need to be prepared. The king is coming back, and our reverence for him will help us prepare us for when he does. Amen? Amen. Hey, Merry Christmas. Thank you.